Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Welcome to episode 121 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Jesse Frick from Father Daughter Records. Jesse has built an amazing label. Started with her father in 2010. She's been in the scene for years, though. She started working with Amy Fiddler of Fiddler Records in Florida many moons ago and has done just about everything with running a label. She is a wealth of knowledge and has a keen ear to what's going on in the independent music scene today. I really, really hope you enjoy. Reach out anytime on washedupemo.com for questions, comments, or complaints. And if you haven't picked up Anthology of Emo Volume 1, it is available at anthologyofemo.com. Also, the site lists out current retailers carrying the book. So thanks to all that have supported that book. And finally, thank you to the Patreon supporters. You make this podcast happen. This is episode 121 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast with Jesse Frick from Father Daughter Records. Were you class clown too? No, I like- was not. I was class environmentalist for some reason. Did you recycle a lot? I would have a can of soda every day, and my mom put it in tinfoil. So every day I would save the tinfoil and make a ball. And so by the end of like a year, it was like this giant beach ball of tinfoil in my locker room, in my locker so people, okay, but you weren't saving it necessarily to save the environment. You just wanted to make a gigantic fall. Pretty much. But everybody thought that yeah. was me being socially <laughs> conscious. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Those dummies. I know. Those, those jocks. <laughs> Stupid jocks. Yeah. Preps. Uh, Preppies. Great. That's yeah. great. So, um, well, I'm excited that you want to do this. I'm excited that I've been asked because I, I don't feel what like do you mean? I sh- I should I I don't I, I don't have any you know I mean yeah like I was around when there was like cool stuff happening but I don't necessarily feel like I was you know a point person for any of this so I'm I'm very honored. No, I I you're I, this is not me blowing you up but I think like you doing all these things and doing a label and being a woman and doing all these things like PR and stuff like it's it's a big deal and dealing with the music scene and all the bullshit that's happened recently, like it's huge. So I think, you know, having your voice, like I've thought, I actually was texting with Kevin um, Duquette earlier and I just was like, I'm so excited to have Jesse on. We need more women on this podcast. Like there can't be just dudes. 
a label or rally around a band and don't just shun it. Because previously when I was, I think it was like sort of bad to be popular when I was getting into some oh, of yeah. these bands early on. Like, oh, you're popular now? Well, see you later. And you've, you've sold out. That was, that was yeah. the Do you the, remember the that? Line. Do you remember like the oh, sold yeah. out stuff? But now we don't see those people saying that anymore. I mean, I remember selling out would be like, oh, your song's on the radio. Or like, I don't know, Hot Topic selling your t-shirt. Now it's like, oh, you have a song in a BMW commercial on the Super Bowl? Fuck yeah, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Back then, that would have been like, wow, you're an asshole. I can't believe you did that. And now I never want to listen to your music again. I'm going to burn it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's unreal. Where I yeah I forgot to ask and um, I think I know this but for everyone else listening they don't where did you grow up? I grew up in Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. That's got some history. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of history. Come on, dashboard, like vacant Andes. Well, I mean, newfound glory. That. Yeah, exactly. I Cheers. Mean, that's like that was where my history began. Um, when did yeah, you start going uh, to shows? Oh God! Um, uh, in high school, I mean, I just I tagged along with Amy. Um, oh, Amy, Amy uh, Fiddler. A- Amy Fiddler, that's rad. Yeah, um, we went to high school together, and we became quick friends in like our sophomore year. Uh, and she lived a couple blocks away from Cheers. We went to a we went to a magnet school, so I actually lived like forty five minutes away, and I don't know how I got into this school because it was for maritime studies and science technology and i don't know the first fucking thing about any of those things but i applied because it was so much better than my home school and i randomly got in uh and then yeah i met amy she lived not that far from the venue from cheers and i would just tell i would sleep over at her house like every weekend and we would just go to cheers that's pretty much where we hung out what what years was that that was nine, like ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, I think was when we first started. Yeah. And then from those shows, like, what were you sort of? Were you into the music before you were going to shows and before you met Amy? Were you getting into that stuff, or was it when you guys met you kind of went off to the races with figuring out bands and things? Uh, I've always loved music. My parents had me when they were like twenty and twenty one, so. They were still babies themselves, um, and they loved music. Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Jethro Tull, I've seen 50,000 times. It's my dad's favorite band. Uh, they just they loved music. They loved going to concerts. They loved smoking weed at concerts. They loved hanging out with their friends. Uh, so there was always like music playing in my house as I was growing up, Um and yeah, I was, I like, I remember so vividly, like my mom would go to a record store to buy me a record the day it came out. Cause that was back on Tuesdays and I was in school and then, and then it would be there when I got home from school. Uh, I had like a little Fisher price 45 player when I was a kid and I had like Chaka Khan seven inches and, uh, Debbie Gibson and like kind of like this more like pop music that I was I was really into when I was a kid. So yeah, I've I've always loved music. I tried really hard to play music. I, I took piano lessons for a really long time, but I just 
I just, I, I can't really focus on something for that long. So I don't, I don't think I was ever destined to, to be, um, I don't know, to like master an instrument. I just, I'm too, I'm too, uh, ADHD to like sit down and practice something for hours at a time. That's an awesome way to go about it. So many of the people I've interviewed have been like, my parents, you know, hated it or they tolerated it or maybe they were into some stuff, but for them to buy records and have you sort of be a part of that, that must have felt awesome to make that connection with them, with your parents. Yeah, totally. And also then they can't like give me shit about working in music now because it's like, what did you expect? <laughs> like, you're not like doctors or lawyers, you know, like this is what you let me do when I was a kid. And here I am yeah. wasting my life away in the music industry. <laughs> you're um, not wasting your life. <laughs> uh, no, but it, yeah, it was it was really awesome for them to just like. Because, uh, so in high school, Amy and I, like, I feel like our, our segue into doing something in music back then was, like, having a zine. That was mm -hmm. how you got in. Uh, so at first, like, I was like, I'm going to be a photojournalist. I'm going to go to art school. I'm going to get really good at photography. And I'm, like, going to go on tour with bands. And I'm just going to, like, have photo books of all this, like, crazy, you know, backstage uh, stuff. Uh, you know, musicians at home, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that was like, so I started a zine, um, which was definitely not as popular as Amy's zine because then she went on and used the name for her label. And my zine was the name of my AIM screen name up until last week. The, um, can we just give it up for AIM right now? That was one of the toughest yeah. days because every time you logged on, it popped up a little message saying, hey, by the way, December 15th, we're going we're gonna to be done. And I... It, the last day they reminded you every hour. I was like, aim, chill out. I know I'm trying to enjoy this moment. Uh, I know it's really, it's really depressing. Um, I think, I think our generation is going to miss it. I mean, I feel like that it's still like the only thing that's like stuck around, you know, like we went through Friendster or whatever other social media was out there or like message boards or whatever, everything like came and went. Makeout Club, which I think is still around, Makeout but Club I don't know anybody that actually uses that. That's insane. Um, <laughs> Makeout Club surpassed AIM. Isn't that crazy? Wait, is it still up? I mean, I know my profile was still there, the one that I made <laughs> back in whenever. I wonder if that's still around. I think it is, um, but I no I don't, 2016 oh, okay. ended December. Okay. All right. So aim, aim did lasted. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was really, I mean, I just remember going on and that was like the first way of like reaching out to like bands to interview for, for my zine or like making friends like halfway across the country that I would like meet up with when I went on tour. Um, it was just it's kind of depressing to see it gone. I mean, I was using it for a group of people that that was the fastest way I could get to them at work. It would be like, oh, yeah. hey, blah, 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 blah. Okay, this, this, and this. Okay, cool. I mean, obviously, I remember sending records that way, too, when you could you know, zip up things and send people stuff like crazy, but that was illegal, and I didn't do that. But when you know, no. connecting with people, I think there was... Um, you know, the with the sidekicks, when everyone had those, AIM was always up. You were 24-7. That was like Facebook Messenger. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's it was such a defining piece of our generation's like adolescence. I feel like like I, yeah. I can't. It's it's sad to think that you know my nephew will never know what AIM is. <laughs> <laughs> he'll never he'll never have a quote from his favorite band as his away message. It's really it's so depressing. <laughs> Everyone is pouring out uh, whatever they have next to them for AIM right now. So that was good. Yeah, okay, yeah, I know I derailed I, us, yeah. but I got I, I was bummed. Um, and I was trying to get everybody's Gmail address before I could – I got – I was like deleting people off of the AIM list once I got their Gmail. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you know, I don't get me wrong. I love Google. I love Google Hangouts. Like whatever chat is available, I'll take it. But it's – so much harder to like integrate into like any sort of chat program that like you can only do it within Google or within Gmail. And then it's like, I don't know. You just always have to keep these millions of tabs open, like have one that's just for Gchat. If you don't use that for your email, I don't know. I'm going down like a serious rabbit hole here, but But it's trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, but it's not the same. So, I mean, that kind of brings up the sort of the, you know, you started with a zine, you know, there was websites sort of happening. I think we're around the same age. Um, and I think we knew things and there, there are other people that maybe feel this way about certain other er- eras, but I think this one's interesting in that things got fast really quickly. And we sort of knew things before the internet, before bands put a website and email, it was just an address or there wasn't anything. It was just band name on the CD seven inch or whatever. And you had to do that digging and search. And then slowly things got faster. The information, how you, we learned about bands. Um, I talked about in a, I've talked about it a lot of times and I, you might feel the same way, but that feeling of not knowing anything when you did go to that show with Amy, you didn't know what they sounded like the band. You didn't know what they looked like. And I, I love that. And I think now it's like, we know too much leading into going somewhere. Yeah. I mean, back then it was, you relied on your friends' recommendations and how they found out about these bands. I have no idea. I, I mean, I'm sure it was probably other people's zines or College some radio. friend of yours, Saratoga, New York or something, saw somebody and um, yeah, that, I mean, like it's, it's kind of insane how bands got popular back then. I mean, it was like so much harder. I think about uh, what would have happened if th- I would like to ask, like what would have happened if bands getting big then happen now? Like what, like Nirvana, what would have been the Spotify streams or what would have been the, maybe that's a bad example. Cause that was like such a crazy phenomenon, but think about that. Like the amount of word of mouth for those bands in the popular scene, but also punk scene, like even harder, like, wait, I saw a zine and there was six issues and this one issue had a lot of extra issues. Cause they, the printer guy at Kinko's hooked him up, happened to be in this one shop. And I like, you know, all those kind of like, it was like leap of face. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like what for me, I mean, music discovery now is still really exciting. Like it's always, it, it's, it's exciting to come across something new that, you haven't heard before that hits you in a certain way. But back then it was all, it was even more exciting because you really had to go out of your way to find new music, to like learn what people to trust their tastes. Like there was one record store that I would go to 
in Miami all the time. And there was one guy that worked at the store that like literally I would buy anything he told me to buy um, because it just turned out that he had great taste. And if it weren't for him, I wouldn't know about Jawbox or I don't know, tons of bands that he was like, no, you should really check this out and listen to it. Um, and there was something so much more exciting about like, I can't listen to this on my phone right now, this instant and decide if I like it or not. Like I literally have to take a chance on this. I got to go home or go in my car. I have to open it. Once I open it, it's mine unless I want to trade it in. And like, it it really was a leap of faith (laughs) in like, am I going to like this? Am I going to like this enough to keep listening to it? Am I going to like it enough to go see them and then see what they look like? Or like, you know, because there weren't pictures of, of these bands all over the place. And some of the zines that they got interviewed for, there weren't even pictures in there. So you had no idea who the hell they were. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of miss that sometimes. Now it's like too easy to decide yes or no. I want to listen to this right now. Or like, I'm not even going to give this a chance because there's 50 million other things I could be streaming instead. I mean, I don't believe anybody buys I mean, okay, I could be wrong. There could be one out of like, you know, millions of people that doesn't listen to something before they go out and buy it. Like it's everyone has everything on their phone. Everyone can access Bandcamp or SoundCloud. I mean, that's free. You don't even need to pay for it. But I don't think anybody just goes out on a limb and is like, ooh, I like this cover art. I'm going to check this out. Or they like read the marketing sticker and they're like, okay, like, I I just don't think that exists anymore. I think people know exactly what they want because they've already previewed it and they already are like, okay, this is safe for me. Or like, I, I like, I know I I like at least one of these songs, so I'll go ahead and buy it. Do you think that Um, puts, do you think that puts people in silos? Oh, definitely. Because that that probably hurts discovery too. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, it, it hurts discovery in a certain aspect, but also like, I run a label that's based on discovery and if it weren't for Spotify and all these other things, like I don't think our label would be flourishing as much as it is. Um, but I do think that it, it stops people from maybe like giving artists more than just that initial chance because there's definitely some bands that I'm like kind of eh about, recorded and then I see them live and it's something completely different and it, they like blow my fucking mind or vice versa. There's lots of bands that are like not that thrilling live, but I really love their records. And it's like, well, if I had seen them live and then just, you know, never listened to their records and I would never, you know, I would have already brushed them off. Um, or if I had listened to their record and not really cared too much and then I never would have went to go see them live. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like that, that, that aspect of it, like, I feel like people might be missing out on something that could really speak to them in some, in some way, but it just might not be like on the format that it's presented to them. I think the other part that I miss that people maybe roll their eyes whenever I say it, but it is the liner notes, like staring at photos or staring at words. And I think that, I sometimes don't have a connection with the band if I just have a stream. I think it's just technology. Technology makes it so easy to jump around to different things. It's like if you're holding a book in your hand, you're not thinking, ooh, well, let me also check my email. Let me like check to see what's going on on Facebook. Like You're literally just immersed in the book that's in your hand because 
you don't have any other choice to like be doing something else because you can't, you can't read the book. Like you'd have to put it down in order to do something else. Um, and that's, that's where I feel like buying something physically sitting down and being able to like really focus on it is what I think creates like long lasting fans. It, it really makes you like fall in love with music because you're not being distracted from, you know, 20 other things. And I don't know if kids these days will really get to experience that because there's just, there's so much out there. And now all of that is available to them in one little, like, you know, six inch device that's sitting in their hands um, that I think like, you know, artists might not have as long lasting careers because it's so easy for people to jump around or move on to whatever's new um, and forget about what came out two weeks ago. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens as, you know, streaming picks up even more speed and, and t- technology keeps developing. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, cause we jumped yeah. past it. What did you do? What, what happened after high school? So you're hanging out with Amy, you're doing the zine. What happened after when you were, when you were back in Miami? Uh, I went to art school and then decided, no, I don't want to be a photographer. Um, and then I got, a opportunity to go on tour with one of my favorite Fueled by Ramen bands, The Impossibles from Austin, Texas. No shit. Um, I had a friend. Yeah, I, they were one of my favorite bands. I had a friend that worked at Fueled by Ramen and was like, hey, they need a tour manager. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but I'll go on tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this was like free cell phones. Uh, I had a pager. And I had a calling card that my mom gave me. Um, Can I so guess the literally year? Literally, my parents. Yeah. Uh, oh, one. No, 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 no. no like sorry. 99. 99. Pagers yeah. was 99. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, well, I remember like the second year I tour managed, I got a sidekick. But that first year was nothing. My parents had no idea where I was. I, I would only be able to call them. They, I mean, they would like page me when they wanted to make sure I was alive, but that didn't mean that I necessarily got back to them in a timely manner. Um, so yeah, so they let their, their 19 year old daughter go on tour with a bunch of mid 20 year old men all, all across the country. Uh, and I did that for a couple years and then they broke up and then, um, Fiddler records called me. Uh, and said, Hey, we need someone to do marketing and like PR, uh, and we can pay you. Do you want to move to LA? And I was like, sure. Um, and then that's what I did. I moved to LA. I worked at the label for a couple years. What years were you there? Um, I was there, I think 2000 to like 2005, I want to say. What was that like? It was great. It was awesome. I mean, I got to work with my best friend and we, I mean, I, everything that I've learned, I mostly learned from Amy and from working at Fiddler. Um, because we were kind of, uh, I mean, we, we, she, she kind of knew what she was doing. I mean, she, she does. She like knows how to find talent she knows how to develop it. She was really good at like creating like a fan base, uh, uh, that like 
revolved around the label and not so much like individual artists. And I definitely learned a lot from her um, in that regard. It was, I mean, it was really fun. I'm living in LA. I was like early twenties. Like our bands were going on tour with like huge bands. The bled was like my first like baby band that I worked with um, that I now have a tattoo of theirs on my arm for the rest of my life, which maybe <laughs> now as a 38 year old woman, I'm questioning, but whatever. Um, and, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, I don't think I, I for sure would probably not be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for that experience. And I remind Amy of that pretty often. So (laughs) what, what happened after Fiddler? (laughs) Um, after Fiddler, I moved to the East coast because I think LA was kind of making me go a little crazy. Um, and I just needed to, to go back East. Uh, I moved to New York. Um, I worked at a, a digital marketing company for like a year, um, which was music focused, but it was definitely more like technology driven. Um, and after that, I, what did I do after that? living in New York. I met my husband. Okay. Um, which was, you know, pretty, pretty nice. I, I mean, wasn't my great. husband at the time. Yeah. And, and that's, that's around when, when father daughter started. Um, cause I was in New York for only about three years and I started at the year before I, we moved to San Francisco, which was 2010. What was the light bulb that went off when you said, I'm going to start a label? Was it talking to Amy one day or was it there's all these bands and I can help them? Because I, I want to mention, as you were going through your little like history, not little, but like the, 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 hit the small that you've told me, doing marketing and PR, that's a little piece. Kind of being at a small label, you kind of see all the things that happen. You're at a marketing company, you kind of see how – you're kind of kicking all of these pieces – and you're like, I can do this, right? I was pretty much forming myself to be a all-in-one record hit record-making machine. I mean, I was I was just trying to gain as much knowledge as I could, and as a, a for the most part, I'm a college dropout uh, that just has like you know rock and roll road experience under my belt. I was like, literally whoever wants to hire me who like I can learn from, I'm down, like, let's do it. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I approached (laughs) working in music. I never interned anywhere. Uh, I, I literally worked at Fiddler. I worked at this one company in New York and then I started my own thing. And this company in New York was like basically like four or five people, um, it's called Sneak Attack Media. They're they're still around. They're in New York. I love Marnie. Uh, and uh, yeah, Marnie. Like it's literally like I've the only jobs I've had in this industry were with very forward thinking women, which I've been very lucky to to have those kinds of people as like my mentors throughout this. How important was that? I didn't realize how important it was. I think until a couple years ago. Um. I, I just, I didn't even think about it. Like it wasn't anything that I was like conscious of that. Like I want to work with women or I want to work with people that I feel like are, um, that understand me or something. It's just, that's just how it happened. 
Um, and now in hindsight, I'm realizing how amazing that is because a lot of people don't, aren't in that position because I'm, I'm finding that there's not as many women that are starting their own companies or being able or getting, you know, higher up on the ladder, um, which will, you know, I'll probably talk about again later, but, uh, you know, now, now I definitely, now I definitely, it's, it's very apparent to me how, how lucky I was, but that's kind of how it all started for me. Do you think other women should do that? Should they, should that be something that they're, they're searching out now that you've realized that? Um, yeah, I think so. Or if they can't find it, just do, do it, it yourself. Themselves. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of was, was father daughter, right? You're like, I got all these things I've learned from Marnie. I've learned from Amy and you're going to do your own thing. Like what were, what were some of those first moments? Cause uh, you know, starting something is scary. You've got, it's just you, you've got other people working with you, but it's kind of your idea. So I don't really even know how it happened, but my dad and I were talking at some point and we were like, he was like, I mentioned to him, I'd been thinking about starting a label. Cause at that time there were a lot of like bloggers that were starting seven inch labels and I've always loved the seven inch 45 format. I thought it was super cool. They're so tiny and you can have a whole bunch of them in your house and they don't take up too much space. And I don't know. I just like, I love a good single. Um, so I was like talking to my dad about how, like, I thought it would be cool if maybe we like put out some singles or something. There wasn't ever any like foresight of like, let's make a record label. It was like, I don't know, let's like do something fun. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then that's kind of randomly how it started. Um, so we just did singles for the first couple of years. And then I feel like a lot of those blogs that started lab- seven inch labels kind of disappeared. And then we got to a point where I was like, mm, okay, is this going to be a real thing? <laughs> or did we just do it for a short amount of time? And like, that was fun. And you know, it's time to like, you know, go back to real work. Uh, and we put out a record with a band called Pure Bathing Culture in 2012. Um, it was an EP, and, like, it blew up way beyond our expectations. Did you know and at all that that, that was, was going to happen? I came across them on Bandcamp, uh, and I hit them up out of the blue, and we met up. They were, like, randomly in San Francisco, like, a week after I had emailed them. I mean, I had a great feeling about it, but I... I had no idea. I mean, I didn't have any access to like data or anything. I had no idea like how artists that sound similar to them have done. Like it was purely like a gut feeling. Um, And that was ironically the only release we did in 2012. It was just that one four song EP. And uh, I think that one year it like really changed. And and I decided like, I want to make this like a real label. Um, and my dad's always been super supportive and just, you know, whatever I want to do, he's willing to go along with it. So what, what was the relationship with you and your dad with this label? Was it, was it, uh, you know, helping out with work stuff? Was it fronting things? Was it both of you sort of going all in on things or decisions? What were some of the, the, I mean, I love the name of the label, um, but what were some of the relationships that are things you guys worked on? So we went in on it together 
uh, we've definitely like we pooled our money and we started this thing. It's always really funny when people find out that it's me and my dad. They're like, oh, so he must give you money, right? And I'm like, mm, <laughs> not really, but uh, together we did. Um, he he uh, is he owns his own business. So he's actually well more, very well more, um, so much better at being organized and in the billing department, uh, doing our taxes, sending out checks on time, telling me when like I'm doing too many things at once and it's going to cost too much money. Um, that is where he is uber important because without him, this label probably would have gone under years ago. Um, so he's he's the yin to my yang. I come up with the crazy ideas and say I want to work with these seventy five bands, and he's like, uh, shave off like seventy two of them for this year. Uh, and besides that, he you know I, I I send him all the music before we decide to work with someone. So he's like well aware of the kinds of artists that we're working with. Um, he comes to you know he goes to see any bands if they're ever playing in Miami. Uh, or like if he's like traveling to New York, he'll like go and see some of our bands live. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I'm like the, I am the label. He just keeps the label afloat. Yeah. I like is, that. Which is really important. Cause like, like I, yeah, I need someone to tell me no sometimes and he can do it in a very loving way. Whereas like, even if we get in an argument about something, it's like the next day he's my dad and I love him. So it's, you know, so the team itself, do you, uh, you know, with smaller labels, you sometimes have to hire out for help. Did you guys have to do that early on or did you take on a lot of that? We didn't start hiring out for anything until this year. Wow. Yeah. I did all the PR for everything. Um, we did, we didn't really hire radio. Uh, we pretty much did everything. I did everything myself while also holding another job that paid me. Um, and this year is the first year where we've hired a publicist on a couple things. Um, we brought on terror bird to do college radio for us. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nice cause it doesn't just feel like me anymore. It feels like I'm, I'm really working with a team of people. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm ecstatic that we've gotten to this point cause I don't know how much longer I could just been me the pure bathing culture the, from that record that sort of set you guys on a course right like that people started noticing they knew the label name you sort of had a little you could get in a little further now because of that right yeah definitely and then because uh i worked so closely with them from the start i actually started managing them when they moved on to their next label for their next record um and that's kind of when I started managing artists too. Cause I realized when artists were on the label, I was essentially managing them. Um, and, uh, some of the, the artists that I've worked with, we just had like a really close bond and we trusted one another. Um, so we like continued the relationship after they had, uh, spent their time at the label at father daughter and like moved on to, you know, a bigger label. Um, but yeah, I think after that, like, I don't know. We, that was back when blogs still existed and like it, we just had so much support from, you know, like independent blogs, like in the hype machine world. Uh, and it was, it was pretty awesome. What were some things that you've didn't realize would happen that happened when you were 
starting out or when you had that first success? Like what were some things that maybe popped out? You're like, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, I didn't really know anything about manufacturing when we started this. And like still to this day, I make mistakes and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I won't do that next time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, like back then, well, I think after pure bathing culture came out, we got distribution, but until that point, like I was uploading stuff to TuneCore it was really hard to put together like any sort of like marketing timeline or like press strategy. Cause we were literally like, okay, it's going to be up on iTunes tomorrow. Okay. I guess it's out. Uh, it was just like a lot harder to plan. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm still learning stuff every single day. I still make mistakes, which is cool because like, if I don't make the mistake, I'll never know how to do it the right way. I just want to get that point across that like you just fucking did it. Yeah, you just got to do it. I get emails from people still now like I'd love to like, you know, sit down and talk to you about your process and what you did to get to where you are and I'm like you're wasting your time by talking to me. Just find a band that you love, try to help them in some way and just do it. Because like the way that I did it is not going to be the same way you're going to do it. And like the time is different. Like, you know, the musical landscape is different. Like it's just do it, just do it. Um, that, that's what I tell people. What's the most important in the relationship between a band and a label? Trust. They got to trust each other. If the artist doesn't trust the label, the labels never, the labels being set up to fail. Like they're not, they're not going to be able to do their best job for you. Um, and then the label has to trust that the artist is going to do their very best to promote, you know, their record that they've spent so much time on. Um, there's, there's definitely like in our, in our history, I'm not going to say every single artist we've worked with was like the perfect dream collaboration. Like there's definitely been some people that, you know, they wanted things one way and uh, we either couldn't do it like that or just that wasn't how we operated. Um, and I, I would say that maybe those, those projects didn't pan out how we were hoping they were, it would. Um, but ultimately I think, yeah, there, there's has to be like mutual respect there and, and trust between everybody. Cause it's such a, I don't, I don't know how it feels to like, work on something so personal to put it out into the world and then like have to quote unquote market it. Like that must feel so weird <laughs> for some of these artists. Like I think like the Mount, the Mount Erie record, like he's literally marketing his wife's death. And like, that has to be such a weird fucking feeling. Like, you know, he's, he's doing it. He's putting it out there. He's releasing it and he made it for like a very cathartic reason, but you know, it's, if you're releasing it as a, uh, you know, like a career musician, you're going to profit from it and you want to promote it. It's just like, it's just so, it feels very bizarre to me. I Um, guess you hope that the story (laughs) gets out there and more people hear about it and maybe it affects somebody else or helps someone else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like, I think that where the trust comes in is, like, uh, and the the respect to it as well is, like, you know, you have to understand as a label who doesn't have that strong personal connection like the artist does, 
like, you know, they, they might not want to do everything. They might not want to do every press opportunity. They're not going to want to go on tour with everybody, if at all. Like, you have to be really respectful of, like, how they want to market their piece of art. And that's um, communication ahead of time, knowing that so you're not six months in and you're like, why do you not want to do all these things when you could have asked those things ahead of time? Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you, uh, because we haven't mentioned my favorite word, do you remember the first time you heard the word emo? Yeah, I think it was back in like 94, 95. Uh, but back then it wasn't a, a bad word. That was me assuming that it's a bad word, that people like that people think it's a bad word. Uh, no, like everything was like emo core or like, well, but it was like a, it was more genre specific. It wasn't like a descriptor for a person. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I think people called Saves the Day emo. And I first learned about them, I think, in like 95 or 96. So. You started around when I started hearing about bands in the independent scene playing music that sounded like the 90s. Um, it was exciting, mm-hmm. the, the emo revival. And I thought having a label and starting around that time um, must have been, I, I think we're around, we're around the same age, like to kind of think that it survived or at least that essence of, you know, punk, that little piece survived a little bit. Even if the bands didn't listen to it, it they were channeling that same thing. It's that weird, it's that sense of community, you know, it's like going to a show and like singing along to these words with your friends it's like that 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 genre I feel like that's that's why it's it's still around and it's still relevant is because it's so based around like the experience of the music of the live show and I think for the most part like I feel like that genre is uh super still super relevant in like small towns or like cities that like not major cities you know like Although that's what, you know, Long Island was like where all those bands were from, which like they didn't live in the city. They lived in suburbia. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's like that suburban mentality of like, you know, let's let's all drive to the big, big downtown and like go see our favorite band and like make it like this experience. That, that, that's when I when I think of those bands, I think of like going to the mall and like hanging out with my friends at TCBY that like my friends work there, you know, and like listening to music and stuff it's like so much more like a community thing did you feel any like there's more people paying attention or no well we kind of we came about just as like downloads were kind of hitting their stride streaming didn't exist yet uh i I mean i think it's still yeah there were like i felt like it's still to this day like i see orders come in from the same people that have ordered every single one of our records really so i guess i do feel like yeah i feel like we've created some at least like I wouldn't say it's a community, but like, you know, there's, there's people that come back that over time, cause we're going to be in our eighth year next year of, you know, trusting our tastes, which makes me feel good. Cause it makes me feel like, you know, at least I, I must be doing something right. If the same people keep, keep coming back and buying the same records or buying different records uh, as time goes by. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really feel like because the label doesn't fit within any specific genre, uh, I don't, it, it, I think it's a little harder for us to like maybe have kind of that same feel that 
that the scene had back then. How did you avoid that? I mean, honestly, I kind of feel like that's hurting those labels that were like in the start, like we're a punk label or we're a whatever. And they were like, you know, defining what they were. And now they're like, oh, wait, hang on a second. It might not be cool to just be doing that anymore. Or like we want to, you know, diversify and do something different. It's like now it's going to be harder for them to break out of that than us coming in and saying we have no genre like we'll literally put out anything we like um because then no one has any expectation of like it's going to sound a certain way i just i wanted the label to reflect the kind of music that i listen to which is like it's literally anything like i it, it doesn't i don't go on spotify and like stick in one certain genre like i bounce around um, I mostly look at like what my friends are listening to. And then like, if there's something that I haven't seen before, I'll click on it. Um, I spend a lot of time on Bandcamp, uh, and I never use any of their like tags or anything. I just kind of jump around from place to place. So I, yeah, I wanted, I wanted the label to reflect that. Uh, cause I think there's so much great music out there, but as soon as you put that genre tag on it, it's like some people get turned off when they think oh, this is punk? Nah, I don't like punk music. But, like, what is punk music? You you don't know what punk rock is. Um, or, like, this is country? Oh, I don't like country. But, like, meanwhile, like, there's so much, like, country pop out there that, like, you're probably listening to a country song and you don't even realize it because it's it's been repackaged as this pop song. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like surprising people with stuff that like isn't um what they would like expect from father daughter to put out which is what you want from somebody you know you want to have that person you know to have not to be challenged maybe there's a better word for it but like somehow like you're not just getting the same thing every time yeah exactly i mean because that to me is just boring i don't know there's something really boring about that about having everything be like super calculated and like I don't know, just like being able to look at it and tell exactly what it, what it is and what it sounds like. Like I, I like surprises. I like, I think that's why I still like going, I mean, festivals are like, eh, but I like being able to like go and see a bunch of different genres, a bunch of different artists. And like, you'll catch someone that maybe you wouldn't have gone out of your way to like buy a ticket to their specific show but then you see them on this festival and you're like, whoa, holy shit, this is great. I and then you see the audience too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, like, everyone likes to talk shit about Warped Tour now because, like, whatever, it's become this, like, you know, behemoth of, like, you know, major label shitty core bands. But, like, in the beginning, it was... I mean, it was like one of the original festivals and they had like hip hop and they had rock and they had like punk and like, you know, they, they ska bands. Uh, and it was like a pretty like interesting, weird group of people that like you could try so many different things at once. And being a kid that grew up on the warp Tour circuit, like, that really formed a lot of like how I approach new music. Now it's like festivals are programmed by the amount of streams that everybody has. And it's not like, you know, like there's a couple of festivals where I feel like it's curated by people that, you know, 
want to put these people together for certain reasons or like these are friends and maybe they'll get up on stage and do something together that you wouldn't see anywhere else. But like the festival mentality is so it's like everyone like goes and they go to the artist catering and they do their thing and they perform and then it's over. I feel like some of the, the magic of like having all these like creative people all in one place is, is a little dead. All the shit going on with allegations and the Jesse Lacey fallout and the things that are coming up for more and more people and there's accountability and it's swift and quick and it seems like it's hitting emo but it hit punk it hit indie rock it's hit all the genres there was a moment where you know that was sort of happening and were there things that you were thinking about and being a woman in the scene and I mean I would hear back in the day at the hardcore straight edge shows like you know, the girls would be, you know, the, there would only be so many. And if they went in the pit, you know, it was like, it was like a bigger deal. And it was just seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't equal. And, uh, it never felt that way there. And I think it's, you know, the allegations and things are, are worse. That was just a pit. It wasn't, you know, relationships and things, but how has it been, you know, since that? And have, have you felt any difference? Uh, it's still not equal. It's far from being equal. I mean, it's, it's refreshing to see people are finding support in however they find it to be vocal about assaults and, and, um, harassment, any of that, because I mean, this has been going on since the, the beginning of time, you know, like, uh, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. And I think just more and more stories about shitty people are going to come forward and it's not always men. It can be anybody. Um, I think it's, I, I don't know. I just, I, 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 it makes me proud to see people feeling, uh, safe to be able to like vocalize these kinds of things. I mean, I think like the swiftness, it, it really depends. Like it, it, it depends on the people that are, that are attached to, uh, you know, the people that are, that the, these allegations are coming up against, you know, Chris Brown is still on a label and he's, he's still doing, he's making a new movie about, about a woman's basketball team. Of course, that's the first person I would cast in a movie about a woman's basketball team is Chris Brown. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, like that label and the team behind Chris Brown, obviously a don't have a problem with his behavior or what he's done, or B, he's making them so much money that they are willing to look past it, which both I think is really shitty. Um, but I am also not in their position, so I don't know. Um, I think it. I think it all just depends on. I think this the 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 overall culture. I think is becoming more aware of it, and the fact that there are so many stories coming out, it's like it's impossible to ignore it. Um, so it's it's good that it's coming to light it's really sad that it's taken this long and it's now it's now you know the the quantity of stories is what catching is what catching people people's attention and not the fact that it's happening in the first place um but yeah i, I don't know like we we unfortunately had a tough year because of you know those kinds of things and it we didn't really know what to do except for what felt right uh, with a band on the label. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just like, I feel like in the, in the, the circle of independent music, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of talk and, 
Um, guys, I don't know. It's, it's such a murky thing to try to navigate because it's, it's really all based on the, the, you know, the, the people that are directly involved in the situation. Um, and you know, the, the other people that are part of their, part of their circle and how they handle it. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. What I liked that you said, and it was that there, someone's comfortable to say something. Someone's comfortable to say something because hundreds of other people have already shared something. And, and, you know, that's not to say that there's a lot of people out there that are uncomfortable or that will never say anything still because they don't know, you know, what their abuser might do or they're scared of, you know, losing friends or losing a job or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's always going to be, there's always going to be both sides of it. Like we're never going to hear the full story about everyone and everything that's ever happened. Um, but it's, it's, refreshing as as a a woman to kind of we hear stories i mean i think everyone hears stories but you know now these stories aren't just like little whispers or like stay away from that person because they did this thing and they're really shitty and blah 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 it's like now everyone the, the whispers are being actually heard and believed as opposed to just you know rumors since you're talking about this year has been tired, <laughs> we're tired, we're ready for a little break. What are you looking forward to in 2018 and the future for a father-daughter? Well, we just added two, not just, but there's two new people on the team. So there's actually four of us all together now. You have a so payroll. So I'm looking forward to getting, uh, I mean, kind of, they're like 1099. So, but still, yeah, we're they're They're getting paid. I, I'm not getting paid yet. Maybe 2018 is the year I get some sort of compensation. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting them involved more. Uh, I'm looking forward to, we already have eight records lined up between January and June. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's going to be as fruitful as 2017, if not more. Um, we're, doing some records with some artists that we have done records with in the past, which is really awesome because I mean, the label kind of our MO was like, you know, do one record with us and then someone bigger will pick you up, which is great for them. Um, but now that we have some artists that actually want to stick around with us and, and grow with us, which I feel uh, really honored to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to a lot of things. I have a second nephew coming in 2018, so that'll be rad. Uh, a lot of things. I don't know. It's a, it's a new year. It's a, it's a fresh start. Just excited. I don't know. There's lots of labels that I follow that I'm really excited to see what they do as well. Like collaborating with other labels. I'm really lucky to be in a community with, you know, like-minded labels and people whose taste I really respect. And I think it goes back to that sense of community where like labels kind of want to like do things together and, and collaborate on stuff, which is really exciting. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff in 2018. Is there anything you want to do that you haven't done, like that's not on your list? I really want a neon sign. I realize that's, <sighs> that's not a great doing one. something. <laughs> I have in my mind that like a custom neon sign must cost like thousands of dollars. They're pretty expensive. So I'm like building it up. Well, yeah, but how expensive could they be? I mean, like there's like 
shitty restaurants that have neon signs. So like, I mean, you know, but if a shitty restaurant like, has a pizza me- neon sign, that's different than it like a custom one. That's true. That's true. Okay. So maybe it is really expensive. So maybe you I just hope- need to change the label to pizza records and you can get a pizza neon sign. I'm just trying that's, to help. You know what? Would you like to be head of marketing? That's not true. I just gave someone the title head of marketing, but you could be like creative liaison. Maybe? What do they No, What's the, what's the like token thing they always give someone at a, at a label when they don't do anything? Um, what is it called? Intern? No. Well, that, yes, that's true. Uh, oh, what is it? Marketing. It's always marketing. And then or you're like, like what the fuck is marketing? No, what you're, are you doing? You're, you're, you're just a creative. Oh, you're just a creative. You just come with ideas. You're just the idea guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're creative. Done. I love it. Yeah. Done. <laughs> so, I'll wait, I will wait for my paycheck from your dad very soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, if you send an invoice, we need an invoice and a W-9, please. Done. <laughs> Okay. Uh, cool. Anything else you want to mention? No, I don't think so. Did I'm very excited to be on this podcast. I've listened to this podcast for a long time as an old emo. It's it's an honor. Rad. So you've liked the episodes? Oh yeah, I love it. I think Rad. it's great. Cool. I'm happy. I hope to maybe make it in a book one day. <laughs> I know that's not going to happen, but who knows? You never know. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo. And Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com